This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Democrats again are running afoul of the Constitution with a proposed bill that would prevent what they're calling paramilitary organizations. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year, on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If you like this podcast and you want it without advertisements, head over to Patreon.com and become a member of The Brian McClanahan Show. For 10 bucks a month, you get all the podcasts ad-free, including video, and you also get a special Q&A podcast. I'm only going to answer your questions, your listener-generated episodes, through those Q&As. So head over to Patreon.com, get this podcast ad-free, no ads, not even things like this, and you really do help support The Brian McClanahan Show with really cool stuff on the back end. If you follow me for some time, you know I write a lot about the South. And my book, Southern Scribblings, is a collection of many of those essays. It's a great book. You're really going to want it. It tells you why I think the Southern tradition should be preserved and why it should be respected. Get Southern Scribblings at Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, wherever books are sold online. You're really going to love it. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. All right, well, let's talk about this proposed legislation by the Democrats, which is aimed at what they're calling private militias. Now, this is a really interesting topic because it's you've got some constitutional issues involved, of course, Everyone's going to knee-jerk to the Second Amendment, but there's some other things going on there. In fact, because the bill goes beyond firearm regulation, it actually goes into organization of these particular groups and, and, and activities. In fact, it kind of uh, gets into the police powers of the states. So this is a major constitutional question, and it has to do with Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution. Because if you read the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, I'm going to read the applicable section, and then we'll talk about that in relation to the bill that's being proposed. So in Article 1, Section 8, you have this language. The Congress shall have power to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively, the appointment of the officers, and the authority of training the militia according to the, to the discipline prescribed by Congress. Let me read that again. So again, if you read Article 1, Section 8, what you need to do is go to the first clause of it, where it says the Congress shall have power, and then the rest of it, that Congress shall have power, gets applied to every power here. The Congress shall have power. 
to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the, to the, to the discipline prescribed by Congress. So, that's what the Democrats in Congress are looking at to give them the authority to do what they think they can do in this bill. The problem with it all, even in the piece that's in Vice, which of course is a left-wing news outlet, is that they don't understand that Congress doesn't have the power to do anything they're, all, they're, they're asking to do here because that would fall exclusively under the states. So what did this mean in the 18th century for the United States to be able to organize, arm, and discipline the militia? Well, I think it's pretty clear when you look at the first Militia Act that was passed by Congress in the 1790s, which mandated that citizens of the states of a certain age had to have a firearm, a certain amount of powder, a certain amount of ammunition. It mandated that people were armed. It also set up rules on how you would uh, train these individuals. And of course, then states would follow suit. But at no time did it say that states didn't have the authority to do other things, to regulate or prohibit, or it didn't say anything about private individuals being engaged in this kind of activity at all. So it says they can organize, arm, and discipline the militia. Now, what is the militia? Now, you can look at this as an official military organization, which is what the Congress has done with the National Guard. In the early 20th century, Congress goes out and passes a series of legislation that gives us the modern National Guard that was designed to centralize the organization of the militia because before the early 20th century, you had state militias. They were almost completely run by the states. So what the Congress did is they looked at Article 1, Section 8, and they said, all right, we have the power to organize the militia. So what we're going to do is we're going to create this National Guard. That's the militia. And then we're basically centralizing control of this organization of the militias. Now, it does say, governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States. What this does, of course, is only the militia that can be employed in the service of the United States can be organized, armed, and disciplined by the general government. If the militia that's being used is not going to be employed in the service of the United States, then the states have complete control over anything else. And if you go to Article 1, Section 10, it doesn't say anything about prohibitions on the states regulating any of these things. Nothing. Article 1, Section 10 is key here because only the things that are listed in Article 1, Section 10 are prohibited to the states. Now notice, in Article 1, Section 8, it does say the states reserved the rights to appoint the officers of the militia that are going to be employed in the service of the of the uh, central government, the United States, and the authority of training the militia according to the, to the discipline prescribed by Congress. So Congress can prescribe a certain amount of discipline. They can say, all right, we want you to train, we want you to, to have a militia rally you know, once a month, an organization uh, in your state, whatever, so people can be trained and organized. This is what we want you to do. The states then have to put that into effect. So the states have the ability to say, all right, this guy's going to be a general officer, this guy's going to be a colonel, this guy's going to be a lieutenant, whatever it is. That's what we're going to do. And these people are going to be your, your uh, non-commissioned officers, these are your sergeants, et cetera, et cetera, if they're an officer. 
So this is what the, the states have the authority to do. Amendment 2 was designed to ensure that because the general government could arm the militia, they could not disarm the militia. That's a key, right? Because it says they have the ability to arm. So a corresponding power would be then, well, you can't have these firearms. So, so the Second Amendment was designed to ensure that the central government could not disarm the militia because they can't arm the militia. I mean, there's a whole lot going on here. Okay, I talk about all of this in my Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution. But this is really important to understand. The militia was a big deal in the 18th century. People talked about it a lot. In fact, it was thought that the militia would be the only army the United States needed. We didn't need a, a, a standing army because the militia was going to be organized and armed and disciplined enough that it could handle any kind of invasion, any kind of situation that might arise where a foreign power would, would uh, land on the shores of the United States and cause problems. In fact, Jefferson and Madison liked the idea of the militia so much they didn't want to have a navy at one point. I mean, Madison was talking about gunboats, right? You have you would basically have a navy that's a militia. You have militia activities, and you have people that are then set up to go out and and serve as a navy without any kind of centralized power over it. I mean, this is these people really feared a standing army because they saw what it could do during the American War for Independence. But you go into Article One, Section Ten. There's nothing in that. The only thing it says is, no state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty or of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter any new agreement or compact with another state or foreign power, or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. So you can't keep any troops, ships of war or troops in a time of peace. What does that mean? That means you can't have a standing army, a permanent standing army. You can't have a militia. It's not a permanent standing army. You can't have a state army. This is the army of Alabama or the army of California, the army of Massachusetts, whatever it is. You can't have that. But you can have militias. So what this legislation is doing is looking at Article 1, Section 8. I can almost guarantee where they're coming with the Constitution. And Article 1, Section 10. And they're saying, okay, we can organize and arm and discipline the militia. And states can't have troops in a time of peace. And if you have these paramilitary organizations, which they're afraid of, well, then those serve as an army in a time of peace. However, even as the peace that I'm going to read to gets into, states have always regulated this stuff. And even through the 1860s, right? You go into the, the big war that we had in the 1860s. You had private organizations militia organizations formed north and south. This was, this was commonplace to have private individuals raise a regiment, raise an organization. Now, oftentimes they would get their firearms from the state because the state could regulate if these organizations could have firearms. That was also an issue. Sometimes they would have their own firearms, of course. But if they wanted military grade or you know, they wanted to have these firearms that everybody could have the same thing, uniform firearms, they would need to get those from the state. Uh, I'll give you an example of Delaware. Uh, James Byard's son, Thomas Francis Byard, was trying to raise a pro-South militia company in the state of Delaware. James Byard's a senator. His son would later serve as Secretary of State and Ambassador to Great Britain. Thomas Francis Byard, and also United States Senator. 
He's trying to raise a pro-Southern militia company. In order to get firearms, he has to go through the governor. The governor prohibits it. And of course, Byron would eventually be arrested and then released. But this is really interesting because it's a private company. And you had these. You had private companies which were union companies, which had better access to the firearms because there was uh, the union uh, army involved in this. So they were trying to prevent the pro-Southern companies from getting firearms while the pro-union companies were getting firearms. It was a mess, and there was a lot of correspondence. Former Governor William Ross was writing it. We had to get the firearms in the right hands, which meant pro-Southern companies. Um, so it's really interesting how that played out, but we have private individuals. There was a, a gunboat, uh, for example, in, uh, in North Carolina, the Albemarle, that was... Uh, a built by a farmer. It was a private individual building a, a ironclad gunboat. So this kind of stuff happened. There wasn't any regulation from the central government on people building firearms or organizing militia companies or doing any of that stuff. The central government, long story short, has no control over this. And let me get into the piece because I'm going to explain a couple other things. This is called the Preventing Private Paramilitary Activity Act. This is from Vice. Democrats propose bill to neuter militias. Militias who like to spend their weekends trying to overthrow the government could find themselves running afoul of federal law under new legislation being proposed in the House and Senate Thursday that seeks to curtail paramilitary activity. Now, how do we know those people are trying to overthrow the government? I mean, I, mean, man, I guess some of them are. I don't know. But how do we know that's what they're trying to do? And of course, they give, uh, you know, this, uh, they're going to use examples of the January 6th situation. This is, this is fantasy for these people. This is, this is why they kept the riot shields and the fencing up in the Capitol. I mean, this is, these people live in a world where they have to have image over substance. Remember that. It's all image over substance. This is why Donald Trump is so good at what he does, because he understands the image. He's, in terms of not, he's not a very, good president and policy-wise, but he understands the image involved. That's why Joe Biden suffers. The image suffers. Joe Biden looks like a bumbling old fool running around. He can't even barely even walk. He stumbles over everything. He stutters his words. He does all this stuff. He doesn't have the proper image. Image matters. In a world where we have media access 24 hours a day, seven days a week, image matters. Used to not be that way. But projecting what you want, and even if it's fake, it all matters. The Preventing Private Paramilitary Activity Act is being introduced by Senator Ed Malarkey from Massachusetts, go figure, and Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, both Democrats. The legislation would prohibit uh, publicly patrolling, drilling, or engaging in harmful or deadly paramilitary activities. What does that mean? publicly patrolling, drilling, or engaging in harmful or deadly paramilitary activities. We'll define a deadly paramilitary activity. So you can't just march. Publicly, what is public? I mean, on your own land? On state property? I mean, what is this? Where is the public part of it? Patrolling, drilling? I mean, so in some ways, you're thinking of you've got the common, you've got the green out in the middle of the town, and here comes the private group, and they're going to show up, and they're going to have a militia rally. I mean, what does this all mean? 
Uh, does it prevent people if they had, you know, 100 acres somewhere of going out and doing this? Is that illegal? Is that public or is that private? It's on private property. So it's a, it's a really interesting way they're trying to put the language here. And this almost 18th century language they're throwing in here. But I thought the 18th century didn't matter. So you can't... And what is a dead... I mean, is this marching around? Is that deadly? Is it harmful to march around? How is that deadly or harmful? I mean, don't, don't we believe that people have the ability to protest, to march around, to make their voices heard? I mean, now the states could always regulate this stuff. Even the peace gets into that. The states could always do that. This is massive federal overreach. If you look at just what they're doing here, this would be akin to a police power. This is a police power. This is states acting, uh, this is the federal government acting as police on the states, which we know if you go back to the ratification process, that was never going to be accepted by those who were ratifying the Constitution. The federal government had no police powers over the states. This would be a police power. So the federal government is creating a law that would be completely unconstitutional because it's a police power. Interfering with or interrupting government proceedings. What does that mean? Interfering or interrupting government proceedings? The Democrats do this all the time. So it would be a federal crime now to interfere or interrupt government proceedings. What government proceedings? Would that be a town council meeting? Would you would then protesting a town council meeting be prohibited by federal law? This thing would fall apart under a legal challenge all day long. But what they're doing here, of course, is signaling to their constituents, we know that you've got right-wingers out there that want to disrupt the government. Even though the left has done this more than any other group in the history of the world. This is what I've said before. The left is the most dangerous political organization overall, right? You just take your pick of your various organizations. But the most dangerous political organization, political ideology, in the history of the Western world. The left has always been. They're the most violent. They're the most deadly. Not the right. The left. Who orchestrated the French Revolution? How about the how about the Soviet Union? Right? These are people on the left. They're the ones slaughtering people. I mean, even Mussolini at one point was a socialist, so was Hitler. I mean, they, you know, we can get into the debate of whether they were on the left or the right. That's a whole other thing. But certainly, I mean, the left is the most violent political movement in the history of the Western world. And these people are focusing on the right. Why? Because it's their boogeyman. It's what lives in their head. And they, I mean, this is something, they're doing something here. But it's all unconstitutional. Interfering with someone else exercising their constitutional rights. What is that? So you can't interfere with someone exercising their constitutional rights. Well, I mean, okay, fine. But what does that actually mean? What are their constitutional rights? Notice the language, right? It's, it's key here. So does that mean if someone on the right has a permit to go out and protest or whatever, that if a left Antifa or any of these other organizations come out and interfere with them, they're going to be breaking a federal law? Well, we know that that's not what they're targeting here. They're targeting people on the right. Falsely assuming the role of law enforcement and training to engage in such behavior. Well, we know that... <laughs> Now, this, that falsely assuming the role of law enforcement is going after border, the people that go down to the border and help round up illegal immigrants crossing the border. We know what we're looking at here is a, is a effort by the left 
to make it to where they have complete control from the center over all of this kind of stuff that goes on in what they consider to be red states. But I mean, again, uh, what does this even mean? Falsely, we know impersonating a law officer is already illegal in states. You, this, this is a state police power, not a power of the central government. This is the problem. The lawmakers propose different tiers of criminal penalties, depending on whether violations result in injury or property damage. The bill also would establish harsher penalties for repeat offenders, probationary sentences for first-time offenders. It would also create paths for the DOJ and private individuals to seek federal lawsuits against paramilitary activity. You see, this is the point. This is all state act. This is all state powers. But the federal government's afraid the states, particularly red states, won't Texas won't clamp down on this stuff. So they're going to try to step in. This is what the federal government does. They try to step in and create another layer of unconstitutional, by the way, federal law enforcement regulations that they think can go out and get these people. This legislation comes almost exactly three years after January 6, 2021, when thousands of Trump supporters, many dressed for war, stormed the U.S. Capitol over conspiracy theories about the presidential election results. Leading the charge were members of and leaders of the Oath Keepers, a militia, and Proud Boys, a quasi-paramilitary group often described as a far-right street-fighting gang. Top brass of those organizations have since caught seditious conspiracy charges. Now, um, what about Antifa? There's no mention of that. What about Black Lives Matter? I mean, what about some of these other groups that do this exact kind of stuff? What about all the people that have gone in for to storm state capitals, to protest LGBTQ things. What about all of that? It's not mentioned. It's all about these right-wing paramilitary organizations. You see, we're weaponizing the government against, this is what Biden has done in his speeches. This is what these Democrats are trying to do now. They're trying to establish a situation where you weaponize the general government against your political opponents. This is dangerous stuff. It's dangerous stuff. And that's where we're going with this. As I said, Biden gave an 1850 speech this is 1850s legislation. This is 1850s legislation. That's the whole point. Private mil uh, paramilitary actors such as the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers pose a serious threat to democracy and the rule of law, Senator, Senator Markey said in a statement. We must create new prohibitions on their unauthorized activities that interfere with the exercise of people's constitutional rights. The forces of bigotry, hatred, and violent extremism must be stopped for the sake of our democracy. I mean, this is all just nonsense. It's all just gobbledygook speak. Because they're not really saying, all right, look, we've got a real problem in the United States. We've got left-wing and right-wing organizations that are arming up and we maybe could cause some issues. No, no, no. It's all our political opponents. Notice he called out two supposedly right-wing organizations. Didn't call out anyone on the left, just the right. We're weaponizing the general government against our political opponents. And if the right did this, I'd call it out for the same exact thing. You can't do that. And again, this is all under the purview of the states, as the piece will actually say. The Capitol riot was a culmination of surging anti-government sentiment and paramilitary activities seen throughout 2020. That year, armed paramilitary groups swarmed government buildings to protest COVID-19 restrictions. Plotted to kidnap Michigan's governor over those restrictions. Hey, by the way, uh, that's been found out to be a federal, uh, those are Fed operatives, right? So, I mean, this piece is just completely nuts. 
Armed paramilitary groups swarmed government buildings to protest COVID-19 research. When did that happen? Conducted armed neighborhood patrols in response to racial justice protests and killed law enforcement officers. I mean, all this is just fantasy. We know that the left, though, was actually attacking a federal judicial building in Oregon. That's not listed. I mean, that's okay. We know that in 2020, there was billions of dollars of property damage across cities because the left burned them down. These were mostly peaceful but fiery protests. (laughs) They burned stuff down. Why is that not being addressed? No, no, no. This is about COVID, about the election. I mean, this is silly. These people are nuts. And of course, again, any federal judge worth their salt would throw this out because it's unconstitutional. The modern paramilitary movement surged in the 1990s, galvanized by new federal gun laws and by armed FBI raids on extremist compounds such as Waco and Ruby Ridge. The movement had waxed and waned in the decades since, and and as the dust settled from the Capitol riot, many asked why these heavily armed, organized groups had seemingly been able to operate with impunity for so long. Heavily armed, organized groups. Why do they operate with impunity? Well, I mean... because they're on private property, I mean, and they have, because of the, the federal government can't really have any, I mean, constitutionally have any firearm restrictions. They, the states can regulate that stuff. I mean, this is, this is, these are stupid questions. Gun rights organizations and anti-government groups have typically argued that paramilitary activity is constitutionally protected by the Second Amendment's language about a well-regulated militia being necessary security of a free state. But here's the thing. It's not that. You need to go deeper than this, right? So, I mean, uh, activity, para, uh, paramilitary activity, what does that even mean? Right. So that you can, well, re- well-regulated militia being necessary security for your state. Well, the, the government can say, well, the, we, we organize and regulate the militia. That's in Article 1, Section 8, but you have to understand the context of all of that. They can't disarm the militia. They can organize, arm, and discipline the militia. And then the states have to follow suit with that, but that doesn't prohibit private individuals from doing any of this stuff ever the states can this is the key if all these blue states want to regulate this stuff they can they can regulate in their states every single day california can do it massachusetts can do it take your pick of your blue state they can do it new york what these people are afraid of is that there's going to be states that don't follow suit with what they want but constitutional experts hold that It is not protected. After the violent white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in August 2017, a team with Georgetown's Law Institutes for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection, ICAP, sought to examine the legality of the kind of brazen paramilitary activity on display that weekend. They found that all 50 states had some kind of laws on the books, but were rarely enforced. Well, what does that tell you then? That that statement is important. All 50 states already had laws on the books, but they're rarely enforced. So the federal government is upset that the states aren't enforcing these laws. So they're going to create another layer of laws, unconstitutional laws, to help enforce so they can enforce what they think the states aren't enforcing. This is a complete distortion of federalism. That's the whole point. The states already had laws on the books. They could have, you could do anything they want like this. The team, led by Mary McCord, former acting assistant attorney general at the Department of Justice's National Security Division, also found that the historical context of militia did not mean a private paramilitary group that was answerable only to themselves, but an armed group that predated the National Guard. 
was first established in the colonies in the 1600s and was meant to be deployed at the behest of the governor. Well, that's true, right? I mean, this that is true. The states did organize the militia. They did have rules about militias. The states have always had this stuff. Additionally, McCord told the Trace in an interview two years ago, Supreme Court decisions in 1886 and 2008 found that the Second Amendment did not prohibit states from banning private paramilitary groups. Again, true. The states can do anything they want here. But this is not a this is the federal government stepping in in an area where they have no control and no power. Our legislation makes the obvious but essential clarification that these domestic extremists, paramilitary Operations are in no way protected by our Constitution, Representative Raskin said in a statement regarding Dursay's bill. So they're saying this is the federal government. You can't do this according to the federal government. But again, this is not a federal issue. It's not a federal issue at all. This isn't doing that. This is creating a pathway for the federal government to get involved in the state issue. How the proposed legislation is received by hardline conservatives in Congress and by Trump voters remain to be seen. Grievances against the federal government, particularly by the FBI and DOJ, or at the FBI and DOJ, have continued to mount since 2021 amid the slew of indictments against Trump and the massive prosecution effort against Capitol rioters. A recent poll found that a quarter of American voters believe the baseless Fedsurrection conspiracy theory that the FBI instigated the Capitol attack. These grievances and conspiracies have established the false narrative that the Biden administration is hell-bent on persecuting its ideological or political opponents. But Look, this is clear from this, right? That's what they're doing. You know, this is what they're doing. So, and by legislation like this, you're—I mean—you're just making it obvious. They didn't mention any left-wing organizations here. Again, if they had done that, if they had said we had all these groups going out there and we have these problems, we have this stuff, we're gonna—we're gonna try to clamp down on some of this stuff. But this is all state police powers. The state has the ability to do any of this, as. Notice that the Mary McCord said, well, it's the states that can do this. It's the states that do this stuff, not the federal government. Just by saying a a person says the states can regulate this stuff doesn't mean the federal government has the authority to do it. Again, a complete distortion of federalism in the Constitution. Article 1, Section 8 is clear. The general government has the ability to organize, arm, and discipline militia. And the group that can be called into service of the United States, it doesn't say anything about any other kind of activity. The states, though, I mean, like I said, impersonating an officer, it's already a crime in states. There doesn't need to be a federal law for that. But the point is, as the piece says, to create paths for the DOJ and private individuals to seek federal lawsuits. That's the, that's the important part, a path. So you can sue in federal court. That's the whole point to usurp the power of the states, to overstep the power of the states, and to create a different kind of environment, which, of course, would then lead to federal involvement in purely state police powers. We have to understand that when the Constitution was ratified, this was actually made explicit by Tench Cox in his defense of the Constitution. The federal government had no control over state police powers. And if they did, the Constitution would not have been ratified. This is really key to understand. This kind of legislation would have scared the founding generation, most importantly, the ratifiers of the Constitution, to death, that the federal government could somehow do this. They never would have thought this was the case. They never would have thought the federal government had this kind of power. 
it would have been completely alien to their sensibilities that the federal government could come in and pass legislation like this over issues that are purely state. As the piece points out, states already have these laws on the books. We have the federal government saying the states can regulate these things. The state should do it. There's an issue there. The state should step in and do it and take care of it, not the federal government. All right. See you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.